Welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee, and here with me is Coach Chad Zimmerman. Hi, everyone. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we're here to answer more of your coaching questions today. You can submit them to us at trainerroad.com slash podcast or use the hashtag AskTrainerRoad on various social channels, and we will sort through as many as we can and answer them. So we'll kick things off with Sean's question. This one came from Snapchat. He says, I just listened to the latest podcast. He talked about pacing for a triathlon. I'm soloing a 125-mile race or ride. I assume this is probably a ride uh, for him. So he's soloing a 125-mile ride this weekend, ramping up for the Rafa Prestige race in August. And it's going to be the Prestige Appalachia in West Virginia. That's going to be a crazy ride. They do a lot of climbing. Yeah, I tried to look up the course description on that and nothing's posted yet. So I don't think they, I think that like part of the Rafa Prestige deal is they never share the course until like the day. Okay, but you're assuming it's a pretty climby course. Yeah, yeah. I know West Virginia, you can't go anywhere without climbing. So, and it's usually steep and gnarly stuff. So he says, question, how would you recommend targeting normal, normalized power and intensity factor for the ride? Or would you use a different metric during the ride? Um, yeah, Chad, what would you say there? Uh, that's that's a good question because we don't know what the topography of the course is. If if the climbs are severe and the downhills are really relaxing, <clears throat> things might might break down a little differently than if it's a flatter, more sustained ride. I mean, if you're pa- pacing for something like a triathlon where it's going to be a really steady state nature and it's as long as, you know, 112, 125 miles in your case, then it's going to be pretty key that you don't blow yourself up and that you maintain a pretty low intensity factor and keep your normalized power down in that whole 65, probably 75% FTP range um, with the intensity factor, you know, something thereabouts, you know, maybe 0.7 to 0.75-ish. With this being a different type of course, though, that that could nudge the the intensity factor up a bit and the normalized power up a bit, but it's still going to be I mean, for a ride that long, it's going to have to be on, this, on, the, on the lower end of things. So probably still in that same range. We talked about this a couple podcasts ago, too. And if so in a triathlon, you can't draft and it's all about even pacing for the entire race. There's usually not huge downhills in, in most races where you can't pedal. But on this, you're probably going to want to be in a group and you're going to want to find a group that's, you know, a little bit faster than you would go solo and go with that group. And that might make it so on some of those hills, you're going to go a little bit harder, but you'll you'll perform, you'll finish a lot faster for that entire race if you get to draft for 75% of the race. If you're going to go solo, then just try to smooth it all out. Make sure you have correct gearing. Um, <clears throat> some people don't know this, but so normalized power and average power, normalized power is a, is a calculation that kind of takes into account um, your big bursts and it doesn't have as much weight on when you coast. So normalized power is kind of like what your average power would have been if you rode it kind of steady. And if you if your average power and normalized power are really close to the same, that means you rode it very evenly. If there's a huge difference between your normalized power and your average power, that means you had a, a large variability while you're riding. So something like a crit, you would have a huge difference between those two numbers, the normalized power and your average power. If you were riding... Um, let's say a 40k TT, they're probably, if there's no turns and no downhills, they should be, you know, the exact same number off by one watt or two watts. Uh, A lot of intervals on trainer road, you'll see that your AP average power and normalized power will be just the same the whole time. So what do you think of that, Chad? Get with a group. Yeah, if at all possible. And there should be a group on this race too, I would assume. Since there's a lot of groups, right? Um, yeah, probably, which allows him to migrate from group to group if he can't find one that quite suits the pace he wants to hold. Mm -hmm. Which brings me to, uh, well, actually, his his next question. He asks, uh, "Go ahead, Jonathan." Yeah, yeah. He says, "My goal is to have several 100 plus mile test rides leading into my taper." So I can define my race strategy, um, refine my race strategy for the effort. And that's perfect, Sean. So yeah. so you're going into this knowing full well, or you're going to have some testers to tell you what you should be able to accomplish and what you can target. So you'll be able to see, you know, how many over, over these hundred and plus mile rides, how many TSS do I rack up and at what intensity factor do I do those TSS? And you can start to refine just how hard you're going to push it based on the mileage. 
So, so with those two metrics, so you might shift your focus away from your normalized power and your, uh, well, you'll, you'll keep your intensity factor, but shift it more toward a stress-based race where you see just how many TSS you plan to dole out over the course of how many hours. And that'll, that could help you shape your, uh, target pace. Yeah. I could see kind of two ways of going about this, Sean, either you could go and ride a hundred mile ride that's similar to whatever you're doing, or if you don't end up riding that a hundred mile ride in that whatever just whatever effort level is natural um, that could kind of set a benchmark or you could go in and just say i want to start at 0.7 or or whatever your if wants to be or, or calculate whatever that is in terms of normalized power which you'd have to put out and start with that um, start either of those two ways just go out and get a benchmark or go out and shoot for something and see where you stack up and then then carry that through and one thing about normalized power uh, that i wanted to 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 ask you chad uh, to see if it's so i've always understood it to be or to provide perhaps a more accurate uh picture of the energy cost of your workouts is that is that anything that you would say is accurate i've heard that pretty commonly no it doesn't not for well for training stress yes because mm-hmm. your normalized power divided by ftp with how long your workout is Sorry, my name's not Chad. I'm Nate. <laughs> but I dig the metrics. Um, that will get your TSS, your training stress, how stressful something is. But actual kilojoules and caloric expenditure, that's going to be based on your average power for how long the workout is. So, awesome. Um, yeah, the normalized power has no effect on the actual kilojoules while you're riding. But on the other hand, if you have a high normalized power and you're doing a lot of anaerobic efforts, you're going to burn more calories after your ride. And we don't calculate that. I don't think anyone does. And no, I, we know that if you have a, um, if you have a, you'll have a higher metabolic cost if you're really working, um, doing a lot of anaerobic work mm-hmm. and you will burn more later. But I don't know. I haven't seen, Chad, I don't know. Have you seen anything that says like, this is Post the amount workout. of extra calories that will be burnt over the next six hours as you recover. No, I mean they'll they'll sometimes quantify that, but it's negligible. It's mm. it's not something that makes that big of a difference. It's a slight boost in your your epoch, your excess post exercise oxygen or uh, post exercise oxygen consumption. Um, and it's it's something, but it's not something that anybody tracks because it doesn't have that big of an impact on on anything really. Right. Right. Maybe weight loss slightly, but nothing in terms of performance. Seems like something Garmin could implement. They always give me those suggested recovery times after I finish my rides, and they're so far off. So <laughs> maybe that's why they aren't implementing this. But um, let's move on to Greg's question. He says, hey, guys, great podcast, five stars. I've been on Trainer Road since 2014 and seen my FTP go from 208 to 318. Nice work. That's a huge boost. At the same time, my weight has gone from 91 kilograms to 71 kilograms. Jeez. Yeah, this is awesome. Uh, most of my rides are under three hours and on the trainer around 90 minutes. I have the London 100-mile ride at the end of the month and need some advice on what efforts to give. I'm starting with the first batch and the hills are about 60 miles in. Should I bury myself to get to the hills still in the first batch? And how hard should I go up the two hills? Finally, what training should I do for the last three weeks leading into the race? Cheers for the advice, Greg. So, so Greg, if this is a ride and not a race, <clears throat> you just have to determine what your strategy is or, or what your intended outcome is. You know, do you really want to be with those guys heading into the climbs because you think you can you know, stick with them, maybe drop them? Um, it, it depends what you want to get out of it. Just know that if you bury yourself, as you put it, getting to the climbs, the climbs are going to be very different than if you had ridden more, more conservatively. Um, I mean, just watch any stage of the Tour de France and the guys who climb the best are the guys who can serve the best getting to those climbs. They have teams built around them so that they can get to those climbs and, and be fresh and hit them hard. And if you're going to go against guys who are in any way protected or have the fitness to get to those climbs a little fresher, well, again, that's going to shape the outcome. So it's entirely up to you. Uh, if it's a race and, and these tactics, these decisions aren't up to you, you just have to go with the flow and kind of see, you know, how, how it shapes up and, you know, come what may. You just mm-hmm. kind of have to deal with what others inflict on you unless you happen to be the strongest guy or amongst them out there, in which case you can inflict your tactics on on the weaker riders. That's a good point because you want to, at least, it, so when I race, I always like to try to get to whatever decisive feature or decisive point in the race I determine. I always try to think of just do what you can to stay with them until then, mm-hmm. until that point, because then that's when the race kind of really starts. And do as little as possible in the process. But that's the key right there is you really have to, 
getting to that point, there's more ways, the more, there's more than one way to skin that cat, right? Like try to always, if you are going to go with that tactic, Greg, make sure that you're doing absolutely everything you can to be as efficient as possible. Even if it's an easy pace coming into it for you, let's just say, because we're kind of assuming it's a hard pace, but let's say it's an easy pace, still do everything that you can to, to make sure that you are, um, you're being as efficient as possible going into whatever decisive moment the race has. Yeah. And just be smart. There are going to be times where you're going to have to work whether you want to or not, unless you, and it's unlikely, unless you have a team built around you. I, I don't get that, the impression that that's what's going on here. So again, you're, you're going to be at the mercy of others, at least some of the time. So you'll have to do some work, but, you know, just don't make it needless work. Don't attack the base of a, or, uh, you know, after a, a downhill, don't uh, fling yourself out in the wind just to dangle up the road 30, 30 seconds or so. I and mean, just be smart about how you ride getting to those hills. Do we know it's, it's a ride, right? Not a race. That's what I'm guessing. Well, he yeah. said ride. It's the same advice, and, I think. Yeah. And so the way that I would ride this, either way, first 60 miles, sitting in a group, nice and easy. You, if, it sounds like there's hills after that, 40 miles of hills. Like, if you could stay with your group for 40 miles of hills, you'd be really good. If you get to 60 miles in and then you just get dropped, it's going to make the whole rest of the race a lot harder. And even thinking of it in terms of, like, what energy or what what fuel you'll be using leading up to that, too, the more you can keep things, you know, uh, on your reserve tank leading in to that to that hard race, the, the better off you'll be. Aerobic. Yep. You'll be saving a lot of resources that in those hills whether you like it or not, whether you're with your group or not, you're going to have to use those rare resources that, that get you through those tough times. So, um, so yeah, that's a, that's a good point. As far as how hard you go up the hills again, it, it depends, you know, what, what, what your intended outcome is. Are you just trying to hang on to these guys, in which case I recommend starting as close to the front of the group as possible and slipping to the back of the group such that you finish the climb at the back of the group and just kind of hold on the downhill sort of approach. Um, do you want to attack them? You know, do you get there feeling stronger than these guys and you want to get away from them thinking that you can hold some gap, maybe grow the gap over the second climb and manage to sustain it all the way to the finish? You're saying 60 miles in. I don't know how long these climbs are and how much mileage you have after the climbs, but you know, that has to figure into your your strategy as well. So again, it, it depends on what you want to get or you know what, what intended outcome you have. One good benefit that you could, or one good opportunity you could exploit in this race, Greg, is with hills as line of sight, um, depending on how big these are. If they're tiny little mole hills, then it's one thing. But if these are bigger hills and your your plans are, we're just guessing, Greg, we can have fun. We're just, we're just going to tell you exactly how to do this. Exactly, right? yeah. <laughs> um, if you do plan to break away and do something just on your own for a long time, hills um or courses with turns and trees anything else like that i always i always look for opportunities like that because there is i mean all of us can attest to this when you can see somebody that's enough for you to hold on or bring them in totally when you lose sight of them that's really really hard to mentally overcome a, a just an ambiguous barrier that you don't know what it is you have no clue how far out they are but you're just going to push that's really hard to do that happens in the local crits here if you can get away yep. where they can't see you, yep. I've lapped the field then. But if they see you, like they'll pull you back in. It's it's weird. Like I, it, it's weird. It's it's just like a carrot on a stick. You dangle it in front of them, they're gonna go after it. But as soon as you get out of sight, uh, that that the whole the whole situation changes. Another um, point of advice for let's say those sixty miles. So you get in a group and Tour de France is on right now. You might think, oh, I'm gonna get in the group and I'm just gonna coast the whole time. And there's <laughs> gonna be a train that's gonna help me. What's really will speed up your group especially if you're um, at the lower levels, if you help organize that group, I bet you on something like a century, a lot of those people have never ridden in an organized pace line. Mm-hmm. If you can just say, you know, take 20 second pulls or, you know, 30 pedal yeah. strokes or something like that and and keep on people to rotate and stuff, be nice about it, but be like, okay, guys, we're going to, you know, do you want to work together? Do you want to do this? And keep organizing it. And once it gets organized, it's way more fun. Everyone's yep. like, oh, this is so much fun. You're two or three miles per hour faster. It's easier. I think it's safer too because everyone kind of knows where they're supposed to be going like the whole time. You know, people yep. are calling things out and it, just being that leader inside the group too, you'll make friends afterwards. Just don't be a, a yeah, jerk. Some exactly. people are jerks about it. Like, ah, oh, you know. And nobody wants to follow that person. Yeah. Nobody wants to. You're a nice to, guy yep. and you're kind of, I, I remember the guys that have done that before and they're like, um, when I started out, like they're kind of little mentors, right? Inside your yeah, group. Yeah. And you're like, they're typically oh, I never welcome. Went so fast. Yeah. yeah. 
and it's also a good way that is a great way to to trim the fat so to speak pardon the pun if this is the case but to trim the fat from the group in other words you're going to find the type of riders that want to work together like that and the riders that don't want to work together like that so you may end up causing a separation not because simply you're you're working harder but just because you're working more efficiently together as a group and it may cause a separation and right there uh, that that could be beneficial depending on how big the group is the thing that um, makes me mad. I'm trying to not swear. <laughs> sensitive to kids, although I've probably sworn on this podcast before, but is when someone takes too long of a pull, mm. they think they're stronger than they are and they get out there and they start taking like a three minute pull and it's they've totally slowed down the pace. To them, it feels hard. They probably don't have a power meter. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I'm going so fast. Um, advice to everybody, whatever the, the pace is for all the pulls, just take that pace. Like yes. that time. Nobody is going to be wonderfully impressed because you're pushing longer than you should and either tiring yourself out or tiring the group out. No one's going to be impressed. Yeah, those are those are called hero poles. And if you want to be the hero, that's all good and fine if you can actually be the hero. But most of the time, these guys end up uh, s- slowing the pace. Yeah. yeah. We are going to go to Hawaii and we're going to do the Kona course, the, yes. the three of us. And uh, Chad's taking a 112-mile hero pull. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, we're going to be sitting behind Chad the whole time. (laughs) I think it'll be Chad, then me, then Jonathan. Jonathan will have like the best draft. I won't even, yeah. I'll come back wondering what every triathlete's ever talked about. Yeah. I'll be I'll be wondering what every triathlete ever you know whines about when they ride in the Kona course about crosswinds and everything else because I'll just be in a shadow the whole time. The crosswinds down (laughs) will be tough. We'll all... Uh, we'll all be in trouble. It's going to be hot. It's going to be windy. And of course, so you go down. Warm. Okay. Side note, but you go down from, um, Hy-Vee, 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 whatever you climb up the big, ma- the, the beginning, you climb up the coast and you go up to, uh, I think it's, Hy-Vee. I forget the name of it. Anyways, you go down that you'll be going 45 with like ocean gusts of 30 miles per hour. And these guys though, <laughs> they have, they don't have no, they don't have discs, but they have, you know, deep wheel yeah. stuff and you'll see them get pushed. It's yeah, that's kind of scary. Especially if you're in a, some people with their aero bars, once again, yeah, getting off topic, the time. but yeah, yeah they have they their aero out. bars really narrow, really close to their elbows, really close together. And that really, really reduces your ability to respond to something like that. It really does. And then, uh, Greg, you also asked finally, what training should you do for the last three weeks? And basically I'll just reiterate some, some general taper advice, but all you're trying to do is shed fatigue. So it kind of depends on how much fatigue you're bringing to the table. So leading up to those final three weeks, if you've done a lot of work, you know, maybe you're pushing your, uh, well, I don't even need to put this in terms of TSS, but if, you, if, you've, if you're carrying a lot of fatigue into it, it takes a lot of time to unearth it. If you are on a lower volume or maybe even a mid-volume plan, you're coming into it and you know you can carry a lot of stress right up until a week before, well, that three weeks may trim down to, to just one. Uh, it just depends on how much training you've been doing and how much fatigue you've buried yourself in, you know, how long it's going to take you to dig out. Um, but the the, the basic structure is you want to keep the intensity and ditch the volume. So big, big, sharp drop. And if you look at any of our plans in the last couple of weeks, especially the, the specialty plans, um, the last two weeks are tapers. There's a severe drop in the overall amount of work you're doing, but the intensity remains high. You're, you're trying to stay sharp, but you're also trying to, to freshen up so that you're, you don't go into these rides uh, in a fatigued state. So if you just look over... Any, any of the taper tapers, you'll see it's it, you maintain the same structure. You're on the bike, typically the same number of days a week. You might even trim that down a bit, though. And, and the duration of the rides drop. The, inten- the intensity of the intervals may remain, but maybe there's less intervals. Maybe there's longer recovery between the intervals. So you're still hitting it as hard. You're just not doing it as frequently. If you look up the hashtag tapering on Instagram or Twitter or anything else, you see a lot of people with... Well, doing a lot of different things, some with ice cream, some with riding, some <laughs> a bunch of different things. But I tapered last night, actually. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's the one thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about because I find this interesting. Everybody tapers slightly differently. Um, you And I think that at first it's always a big question. Um, and you may not even know that you have this question yet. But then once you go into a taper, then you uh, once you know you taper for a big race, and then you taper again, you may find that one strategy worked better for you than another. For me, I, I find that actually two... So I I cut down my volume. So for nationals last year, we'll talk about that. Since that's going on this week and I'm not there and I'm sad about it. Um, I'll make it real personal. But Hug your son. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm with my son. It's, it's, it's awesome. But um, I came in and a week before, I just took a week. I had been gone through a whole... I did base, build... 
uh, half of a specialty back to half of a build and a full specialty coming into nationals last year. And so I had a long time of training and I came in and I just took my last week and my last week was shorter workouts. I think I cut my volume down almost in half. It was a lot, but I, my intensity stayed high. And two days before the XC race, the, that, that race, which was my main goal, I had a short track race. And even if I didn't have that short track race, I still would have gone out and done something really hard, really intense, not long, but really intense. I found that that works for me, but I know other people that that doesn't work for at all. Kyle, Kyle Dixon, he's a good friend and a coach of our, the juniors that we work with. He needs to have a week of very easy, low intensity. And he's he's in his 40s now, so uh, mm-hmm. perhaps that's contributing to it. But how do you guys taper? Chad, what do you do? What's Or what usually works best? Um, it de- depends on the type of event if and how much training I'm doing. It's just like I said. But often enough, if I'm leading up to something like a stage race, I'll take a series of days where I do very little. Um, so maybe <clears throat> seven days out from the four or five day stage race. I'll spend two or three of those days doing maybe nothing on the bike. Then uh, I'll start to just kind of phase it back in over the next couple of days. I'll do a tempo ride maybe, and then maybe a long endurance ride followed by another day off. And then I'll do a hard day of intervals, kind of what Jonathan just described. Intensity is super high, but the workout itself, 30, maybe 40 minutes is very short. And that's typically the day before, um, unless uh, it's got a time trial or something. I'll go pre-ride the time trial course and I'll do the efforts on the actual time trial course. But in any case, it's just, just one little dose, almost a reminder of the intensity mm. the day prior to the event. And that, that sharpens me both physiologically and psychologically. We call that leg openers, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And we talked about glycogen repl- replenishment, but those leg openers right before a day before a race, I think would be, that's the time where I'm most concerned about nutrient timing. Yes. Try to hit that golden mm-hmm. 20, 30 minute window and just get my, you know, my shakes like ready to do mm-hmm. my intense workout. And then drink that up right afterwards. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it does anything, but at least gives me that mental boost. So like, I'm ready, sure. right? Yep. That's placebo. Yeah. So tapering doesn't necessarily mean just sitting on a, sitting back on the beach. I've done. Space to go about it. Many different tapers. Yes, and I don't know which one works the best. Yeah. Honestly, it's I like, can't nail it like down into decision. one in particular. Yeah. I, if I go into a, if, I, if my fitness is high and I'm going into something that's a long road race, I might taper a day or two. Mm-hmm. literally that's it but if i'm going into <clears throat> something like a stage race i'll take a real taper where i know i've done a lot of training and i need two or three days maybe four um, buddy of mine goes fishing for five days and, and then he goes and wins national titles so it <clears throat> you kind of got to figure out what works for you but again the idea is to never get too far away from the intensity and to to shed the fatigue you know, what what you know cocktail of of uh efforts that that is for you is something for you to figure out I've done it where I don't do anything for like a week and I've done it where I just do the hard, short workouts. And I think the best I've done is where I do shorter, easier workouts, but I come in feeling like each one of those workouts, I'm like, I should not be doing this workout. I'm way too tired. And I'm like, this is bad. This is bad. And then right before the race, I feel amazing. And I'm like, oh, I made it. It's almost like there's like a week delay, right? In the sense that like you're feeling fatigued, you're doing the work that you should be doing, which isn't intense or anything else like that, but you still feel tired. And then once that week ends, then your body is yeah. like catching up and reaping the benefits from all that easy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Recovery weeks and taper weeks, you don't go into them feeling good just because, you know, Sunday you buried yourself and then Monday or you take the day off and then Tuesday you start to taper or you start your recovery week. Right. You don't magically start feeling better on Tuesday. This happens over the course of that taper, yeah. over the course of that recovery week. So that at the end of it, that's when you start feeling good. That's when you start mm-hmm. feeling excited about the event, excited about the next week's workouts, et cetera. That's what's happened just with, uh, and I've done this, I did this actually for um, my first marathon that I did and I just did the plan and I felt awful and I had a great time. Then I did a bunch of like Ironmans and halves where I'd be like, I'm going to take a week off. And then just recently with some of the train road plans, you know, I did the, uh, the what, seven weeks on and then one week of taper. And I, I think I mentioned it before, but I felt really bad the entire one, entire week mm-hmm. until the weekend. Then I was like, my power meter's wrong. <laughs> oh, it's not calibrated. I get off, I calibrate it again. Because you were too strong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is way too easy for me yeah, to do. And then I jumped up. Like, so the week before doing those intervals, I'd say at 260 watts was like the FTP. Really, really hard. I go through that week of taper that's built into the plan. That next Sunday... So that the following Tuesday, I retested at 296, so 30 watts. So in that week of 
of like mm-hmm. easy riding, my FTP because of his shedding fatigue went up 30 watts. Yeah. Which if I could do that before every race. Yeah, that let, be, let that be a that's lesson. That's like ideal, right? It is. And, and let that be a lesson to everybody who's listening is we, we put so much emphasis on the intensity and the work end of it and miss a workout and we feel terrible about it. And we're just so, so performance or uh, intensity driven. We feel like the work is what it's all about. But, and it is, it's absolutely half the equation, but the other half is recovery. And most people do not recover enough. They always err on the side of intensity or work. They always feel like I got to be doing more so that I can make mm-hmm. myself stronger. Fact is, you don't get stronger unless you let your body recover, unless you heal. So uh, yeah. I, I, more I times than not, when in people. doubt, I recommend that people recover rather than do another workout or you know uh, just just try to gut out those last couple of intervals or whatever it is. But right. the recovery is almost always the right answer. There, it matters. There's a spectrum, right? Sure. With with the Chad and oh, not just. Uh, there's a lot of people, a lot of people that I know were just consistency. Like they're not working out three times a week. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they might be, mm-hmm. oh, I need to recover, recover, recover. They have a yeah. lot of room to improve within the work side of things. Yep. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then there's people who are super consistent that never recover. I'm like, you'd be so much faster if you just recovered. Mm-hmm. So it's that balance. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's I actually asked Chad this question on the way to North Star where we were doing mountain biking. It's the hardest question in all of cycling. When do I, if when I feel bad, when do I take a day off versus doing the workout or changing it? And there's no, that's no like experience. Answer. Yeah, exactly. Like we, we talked for probably 30 minutes on that. Yeah. You can't, it's, it's not, um, it's personal experience. For, for instance, what I did is I had a Tuesday workout and I had a really, I had a bigger weekend than the plan actually called for. <laughs> so I did a little extra. <laughs> and, um, on Tuesday, I felt horrible, and uh, it, we had a Thursday night race, and Tuesday, I actually skipped the workout, and I had a good workout Wednesday and a good race Thursday, and I think that was because I skipped the Tuesday workout. Probably, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And in my experience, I feel like I can recall more examples of when I decided to just do the workout instead of skip it, and it ended up working out just yeah, fine. I've done that, too. You yep. know? I've done it in it's a tough. State. I remember... Um, <laughs> I was just thinking about this morning. I did a, a stage race, one category lower than Jonathan Chad, but it was the Twilight Series stage race, three races in a row. This was in like 2009 or something when I was fast. Uh, the good old days before kids and stuff. I'm, I'm getting actually close to being to where I was, but I remember being at work and messaging with my friend and complaining. I'm like, oh, I feel so horrible. Like, I kind of feel sick. I'm going to go home. I don't think I should race tonight, blah, blah, blah. Complaining and, you know, not hardening toughening up yeah, HTF yeah. and then i messaged him afterwards i'm like i won the race and i won the stage race like like i run <laughs> that actual are. race and yeah although i felt horrible i performed really well and i didn't see in that case too i didn't have like seven weeks of training i had i like taper a little bit for that stage i just had three hard days of racing mm. like and i was fine that one i just had to toughen up and that's why it's such a hard question it is and data doesn't you know we don't really have great systems to pull in the data or analyze or understand that data yet like you can collect data, but yeah. understanding it and well, knowing what to do off of that is a different one, story. One so. thing that we came up with was elevated resting heart rate. Mm-hmm. That's a sign yeah. that mm-hmm. you might need a day off. Or if in your workout, you can't get your heart rate up. Yeah. And the caveat with two of these things is you do have to know your heart rate data very well. You have to have a, a sample size that's pretty large to be able to to confidently make decisions based off of that yeah, it's yep. more it's more about trends than than day-to-day so if you yep. if you've been watching this stuff over time you can't just say i did this workout a couple of weeks ago and my heart rate was this i'm doing it today and my heart rate's that i need to yep. bail you have to say over the last few days my heart rate has just been so hard to elevate and when i wake up in the morning it's gradually creeping up it's more about trends than, than these single instances uh, for yeah. instance i've i've i'm on maybe like five solid weeks of training and I actually added I would do a four week block but I added a little extra time because this weekend I'm going to do a bachelor party I'm not going to be able to do any it's, it's tapering <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> more tapering, tapering. Yeah, yeah, more ta- yeah. I mean, I'm using air quotes I'm going to be tapering the whole time um, but I've noticed in my workouts I can usually get my heart rate up to like 191 192 inside now my max heart rate on the same workouts is like 174 wow I'm not feeling very good and my I can't my resting heart rate's like 56 rather than like 40. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm really like fatigued, yeah. but I know because I'm going to, so I'm going to have this weekend of, of low, of no working out maybe for three days. 
And then I'm going to go into the recovery week. That's all going to be, um, you know, the w- right. what our plan has yeah. on the build for a rest. Right. And then I'm going to test and hopefully I'll shoot up a whole bunch. Right. As long as I don't kill myself with alcohol. Yeah, that's what I say. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out, especially considering what the quality of your recovery is over it, these three days. That's the key. So yeah. missing sleep, drinking a bunch, partying, that's not exactly recovery. Yeah. Far from it. So, I know. Sorry, Nate. I've got, they said, they, they told me to bring uh, Funyuns. <laughs> that's great recovery no, that's, food. That's right. my, my thing to bring is Funyuns. <laughs> that's great recovery food, yeah. You'll be feeling like it. Yeah, you'll be feeling like a hundred bucks. These on guys Monday. are not razors. No, no, clearly <laughs> not. Tough. No. Um, Ian Kramer sent in this question via Snapchat, and he asked us how we deal with saddle sores um, and which chamois cream we like. So, I know I've yeah, Nate, go ahead. Okay, yeah. so the best way to deal with saddle sores is not to get them. And actually, this is from Pete Morris. The, the guy who did the crit racing podcast just took some awesome pictures of him working hard. He looks, he looks like, like Thor. And he Thor, rides for Cliff Bar. A lumberjack. He fights bears. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool yeah. pictures. We actually posted it just on Instagram. So you can look at our yep. train road Instagram and see a picture of him. Yep. But he said, great advice. Um, and it makes sense. As soon as you're done cycling, take off your chamois. Yeah, chamois That's, time is not training time. I hate that. Like I hear people always say, chamois time is training time. That's it's a terrible very, joke. It makes it's no terrible. Sense. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. And it just makes you gross. It's the bad. only the only time I get saddle sores is I I realized like whoa I wore it for an extra two hours as I walked around the race or something like people bring towels and they change out mm-hmm. on the podium every podium I've ever seen Jonathan on um, you're wearing like different shorts you're not wearing your chamois you, yep. you get out of them real, right away I try to yep and you wash them yes um, there's some college guys who are probably like oh, I just you know I wear the same ones they're good oh, like three we times we all know, you know when you ride behind them oh, you gosh. can smell them five riders up there's nothing worse than that don't be that guy in the group that everyone else has to smell it's disgusting yep. yeah and I actually or don't don't use, be that human I'll say yeah <laughs> I used to always use chamois cream starting out now I don't use it all for road yeah um, triathlon I do because it helps um, me from my position on the bike, like the little bit of when you a try position always hurts. When you hop on the bike with a wet chamois, I'm guessing that's a Ugh. factor as well. No, there's there can be chamois cream with antibacterial stuff in it, ah. so that will help. Um, I've never got a, a a saddle sore while doing triathlon, but I'm not also in as long unless okay. I'm doing Ironman. And because the I don't one even know your chamois thinner that. in a tri short than it yeah. is a cycling short, yeah, so that's sure. one thing that would increase irritation. And then, or, or perhaps decrease in some cases, but, and then also like Chad said, if your skin's wet, it's also going to stick more to the chamois. It's going to be more fragile too. It could, that could be rough. Yeah. The, the chamois cream I like is, uh, Dave Zabriskie's, uh, D's nuts. nuts. Yeah. It's called D's nuts. Yeah. DZ nuts. That's it. Um, and it has like this, I think it's a saddlewood, but the saddlewood in it like tingles. Yes. Just wakes you up. Yeah. Ready to go. They're, um, uh, another one that I can recommend is Mad Alchemy. They make chamois or they make, uh. They make embrocation, so make sure that you're getting the right thing. Because <laughs> if you get embrocation and put that on like chamois cream, you are going to be in such a world of hurt. And if you don't know what embrocation is, it's got capsaicin in it, usually through chili flakes or something oh, else. Yeah, and nice. you put that on instead of using arm warmers or leg warmers. Um, and it's actually, and a lot of it is oil-based too, and it works impressively well because it'll repel water and it creates this layer of heat. And it's perfect for those days and it's like cold in the morning, but you know it's going to be hot later. So you don't want to carry around arm warmers and leg warmers because then you'll just put them in your jersey pockets. It's perfect because most of them usually wear off sometime. It depends on each one, but sometimes, you know, three hours or so it'll wear off. So it's a good tip. Mad Alchemy has really nice chamois butter too. I like their stuff. Um, the D's Nuts stuff is good too. I, I haven't come across a chamois butter that I've found to be bad. Yeah, neither of I. Yeah, really. They all work fine. These nuts just tingles in them. <laughs> <laughs> <That's not bad. laughs> this is getting after dark right now. Yeah, <laughs> but really, it just comes down to clean skin. So keep your skin clean. If yes. if you're getting like raw spots from rubbing, that's more a position and of, of that's more an issue of saddle positioning. And chamois cream is not addressing the actual problem. It's only addressing the symptom of the problem. So. If if you're clean as can be, you swap your shorts out, you have clean shorts every time, et cetera, but you're still getting raw spots and maybe they develop into saddle sores, then that's that's more a bike fit position. Or you know, maybe your saddle's too wide, maybe you're not anchoring your sit bones and you're tipping forward onto your, your softer tissue and, and just grinding that stuff down. That's obviously something that 
needs to be addressed and chamois cream isn't the way to address that. And two, if you get a lot of saddle sores, it's not necessarily like you're just gross. It's a lot about what kind of skin you have. Um, and it's you could do too is, I just thought of this, I don't do it, but I have a little kid and after you get off the bike and you change like you got a race, you could use baby wipes. Yes. You can't take a shower. I always have baby so wipes. try to take a shower Everybody's or just baby wipe and clean it up. Yeah. It's be really gross. Baby, baby, rice, wipes. Uh, baby wipes and then they have those, uh, there's a brand now that I keep seeing, um, sport towels or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like I that. I actually use them. They're really durable and they're they're fantastic. I'll look up <laughs> what the actual brand is and we can Probably talk just, about it. Yeah, I want to see, how are they I different think it's baby wipes? sport towels. They're thicker and they're hardier and you can actually are, re-wet them and, and use them again without them deteriorating. Baby. How many baby wipes have you felt in your life, Chad? <laughs> Chad I, I, a ton of them. I've, every race I go to. I've got the big old Costco box. Baby wipes. I've got a Costco box <laughs> size of, you know, packages of baby wipes because every yeah. race I go to, I bring baby wipes to wipe my face yeah. off, to wipe my nether regions, to everything, yeah. just to get the salt there, off there me are and freshen some up. thick, durable baby wipes okay. I'm wiping out. I believe you. Not the Gross ones I bought, unfortunately. I have, I have that skin that you talked about, Nate. It's terrible. Like, if I took my fingernail right it now- It is pretty terrible. Just, <laughs> and I scratched it on my just hand, you'd see for like 30 minutes afterward where I scratched my hand. Like, you'd just be red and irritated. So, um, I've struggled a lot with this and the the a few key things. So, like Nate said, uh, always keep it clean with, uh, with and, and Chad said too- wipes, everything else. Never, ever wear second day kit. Always make sure your kit is clean. It doesn't take much. Like it's really not that tough. You don't have to do a load of laundry either. Just put your kit in the sink, throw in some soap. If you need that, if you're traveling, it's still easy to get a clean kit um, or just throw it in the washing machine. Always use clean kit. Um, Number two, I personally steer away from using chamois cream only in very severe situations do I use it. And the reason is because I don't want to, I find that if I use it regularly, my skin becomes a little weak and soft. And if I don't use it, then perhaps it's not callous, but it's, it's stronger, right? And the other thing is keep it dry. That's the other rule. We already talked about getting out of the chamois as soon as you can, but keep it dry down there. And the way that I do that is with baby powder. Um, if you do find that, because I think one of the worst things is after a race, a long race or a long ride when you're, when you are sat, you know, sore down there, you don't maybe have a saddle sore, but you are sore and that opens the door for a saddle sore to develop. When that happens, if you can keep it dry, first clean it and then keep it dry, it's really going to go a long way to making you more comfortable and, and helping out with that. So, um, baby powder is, is a good tip with that too. But I've honestly found what Chad said to be the best deterrent, which is, bike or your position on the bike whether that's the bike's fault and it's in the wrong position or your fault you're sitting on it incorrectly yeah and i I gotta say this is coming from the perspective of a guy whose longest rides and these me and they only figure into my schedule once in a while are five maybe six hours and if you're a grand tour rider or just a rider who's putting in high mileage this this might alter the situation a bit i don't i don't know for guys who are repeating high mileage days where they're out there for you know four five six hours multiple days in a row this could be a whole different discussion it's not something i'm uh, familiar with so i can't say i think too if you're a, a heavier person yeah. and your power you have like so you don't have yeah. a 360 watt ftp yeah. mm-hmm. and you're 240 pounds that's a good there's point. a lot more pressure i was thinking about yeah. this the other day we talked about saddles and people don't a lot of people don't think of this but as you're pushing down on your pedals that lifts you up a little oh, yeah. bit and if you have a higher FTP, it's the saddle's way more comfortable. Plus, Chad, what are you? Chad's getting skinny. What are you? What's your weight now? One seventy. So, so. one seventy. But so Chad, one seventy, and you know, mid three hundreds for an FTP. Uh, it's a different experience versus someone who's right. maybe two hundred watts. No, that's and a, could be two sixty. That's a really Great good point. point. Then it's, it's gonna like then it's. It just hurts. Like it's. I mean, you're gonna toughen up, but it does hurt. Yeah, but I mean, you consider you got your your contact points, your hands, your feet, and your your undercarriage. So if you're not putting a lot of pressure on your legs, and I get this when I just do recovery rides. Yeah. So so I'm Me effectively too. having my my FTP, and I'm riding really easy, and I get uncomfortable much sooner. And I will say, on some days, especially indoor, if I know I've got sixty to ninety minutes of easy riding, I'll use chamois butter. Yeah. Um, Jordan Rapp, who is a um a really good triathlete, pro triathlete who posts on Slow Twitch, he talks about how he'll do all of his long rides on a road bike and he'll only do interval like hard workouts on his TT bike. You think you do all of his rides on his TT bike because he's an Ironman athlete and a half Ironman athlete really fast on the bike, but he says he gets just too comfortable doing those low wattages mm-hmm. for the long rides and he needs to be on his road bike. 
Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, and one thing I wanted to clarify too: there is a difference between saddle sores and saddle soreness, right? Oh yeah. Saddle soreness is your raw or uncomfortable. Your skin is in some way damaged down there, whereas a saddle sore is an infected hair follicle, essentially, yeah. or an infected like a pimple. Yeah, exactly. And they're excruciatingly painful, um, and and really in many cases impossible to ride with one. It's very difficult. Yeah, many a Grand Tour rider has actually abandoned a tour due to saddle sores, which is an amazing feat. Think of that: you're training the whole year, pretty much, for that Grand Tour, and you have to call it out. It's that painful. I wonder if like. Um Acne medication could help prevent. It could, you know, and that's when. If I was a Grand Tour writer, right? Like, Sky should be looking into that, right? Because you don't right. want. They've probably looked yeah. into it. I'm, I'm sure. sure, right? And no that's when, if you do have a saddle sore, and you'll know, uh, if you do have one of those, that's when soaking in a bath or anything else like that, or in some, and keep it clean, make sure, but. Uh, making sure you soak that area pretty regularly can help uh, a fair amount. But Greg Henderson actually just mentioned, so he was doing a lot of indoor training and he had crazy saddle sores coming back from not riding for a while, coming back from an injury. And he spent so much time out of the saddle. He's driven. He spent a huge amount of time out of the saddle. We're talking over 40 minutes sustained out of the saddle, then over hours out of the saddle because he wanted to train and to do it. Don't put yourself into the situation where you have to do that. Try to get it taken care of beforehand. Um, just because you mentioned, I'm going to say it. Yeah. Greg Henderson also said what he uses Trainer Road. He uses it religiously, religiously. and he yeah. does. He by uses the way. religiously. He does, oh. and he's turned hint, hint, nudge, nudge. He's turned on a lot of people. We won't say, but he's turned on a lot of different people to um, to using it. It's we don't pay him. We don't pay him. Yeah. No, and we don't pay any pro riders. That's not what we do. So, yeah. So. Um, Okay. Although, I guess I shouldn't say that's not what we do. Chris Froome, if you're listening, yeah, we'll pay we you. can talk. <laughs> I got 20 bucks for you, Chris. <laughs> uh, yeah. Next question, and this is uh, from Snapchat, so strange name, but Tanatov. Uh, maybe that's your last name, not sure. But um, you mentioned that you have a 50-mile off-road uh, adventure cross race, which I assume is meaning like a gravel race. Um, so w- what we mean by that is uh, gravel races, for those that don't know, they're dirt roads. They're usually pretty smooth in pretty good condition. Consider they're not like a single track mountain bike uh, or a jeep trail or anything else like that. They're usually dirt roads. And you're asking which specialty plan to pick for that. And it is an interesting question because it's off road, but maybe that's not the best. Yeah, I, I would guess that the characteristics are going to be more like a road race if it is in fact gravel race. In which case, the sort of efforts you're going to have to put forth are going to more emulate a road race. So the rolling road race plan would be the way to go, unless there's sustained climbs, in which case you could do the climbing road race. Um, if, however, it's more mountain bike in nature or more cyclocross-ish, and there's going to be more uh, hard, short, explosive type efforts, in that case, I'd steer you more toward a, an off-road plan like the marathon mountain bike specialty. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd say so as well. And then you also ask, uh, should you do an indoor and outdoor FTP test to make sure that you're using the right numbers inside and outside? What do you guys think? Uh, we've talked about indoor and outdoor before, but... I- um, yeah. Okay, so Coggin, if he's probably not listening, yeah. but if he is, he would tell me not to say this, but this is what I would do. If there's a, a, a big gap between the two, yes, do it both between there, but then at the same time, focus on why your indoor is lower, yeah. and we mentioned it many times, cooling, motivation, inertia on the trainer. And experience. Experience, yeah, they should get up there the same. But if they're like, when I first started out, I think I had like a 25 or 30 watt difference indoor and outdoor. Now I have a zero watt difference. Um, mm-hmm. It's, yeah, that's that's a that's what, that's my advice. Really, Chad, really, what do you think? Outside of the things you mentioned, the cooling, the inertia, things like things like that, um, there's just a learning curve that goes with training indoors and being able to gut out efforts where there's they just they're unrelenting. You just <clears throat> there, there's no breaks and you may feel when you're out on a flat road and you're pushing hard and you feel really steady there are more breaks than you're aware of and they're and they're more greatly exacerbated than, than when you're on an indoor trainer especially like something that's ergo mode but even just a traditional trainer the resistance is so steady it just doesn't give your muscles those little micro rests that you get when you ride outside and i think people under credit how uh demanding that is and and, and it, but but over time the more you train indoors and uh, and just the more you train indoors, the more that starts to come in line with what you experience outdoors. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's somebody listening right now that's going, I'm the opposite. 
my indoor FTP is higher than my outdoor FTP. We have seen that. It's pretty rare, but we have seen that too. And really the same principles apply. There, There's uh, differing circumstances or differing motivations that are affecting your ability to put out power in one situation compared to another. Mm. And with time and experience, I've found that they always come. I've never found them to drift further apart. I've always found them to drift closer together. So yeah, motivation is, is actually probably the, well, well outside of cooling, motivation's crucial it's it such is. a big deal and and i mean you can kind of stack the deck as it were against you just prior to any ride there there are times where i dread my workouts and times where i look forward to my workouts fortunately over the years I, i've just grown fonder and fonder of indoor training to the point where i really look forward to my workouts i know how productive they're going to be i know how controlled they're going to be what i'm going to get out of them um, I like the idea that I don't have to fuss with so many of the things you deal with when you're outside and that I can just concentrate on the workout. And because I look forward to my workouts and I feel motivated, the quality of them and the, the desync between indoor and outdoor FTP has, has the quality has grown and that, that gap has shrunk. Absolutely. Perry, and this is another one from Snapchat. We had a lot of them. So we're trying to put in, and some of them we answer on there, by the way, some of them uh, to you directly and some of them we answer on here. What's her name on Snapchat? Trainer Road. Okay. It's pretty easy. <laughs> yep. You can find us there. You can also, um, for Snapchat can be a little uh, confusing to get used to uh, for those that aren't used to the interface. So if so, go on to our- Old people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, John had to show me too. <laughs> if, go on to our Instagram um, account and you can see, that's, I'm saying if you struggle with a new app, go on to yeah. another new app. Yeah. But um, you can search for us just by Trainer Road or go on to our Instagram account and you can see this weird Snapchat little ghost yellow logo thing. All you have to do is save that picture, and then when you want to add friends in Snapchat, you can add it by that picture. There's before you get in this next question, I just want to say one thing about the the, the riders and paying riders. Um, I just want to say that if we 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 might sponsor riders one day, but we'll let you know. So that's that's the only difference. Yeah, is we'll be, if we yes. don't sponsor a rider, if we don't yeah. pay them, we'll let you know. But if we do pay somebody, have an agreement. We'll still we'll say hey we sponsor it so there's there's full um, disclosure. Yeah, disclosure and transparency. I, I yeah. think some other. Pro- all of us listening yeah. here, like we all kind of see through like the, the old school athlete endorsement when a guy holds up a bottle of Barbasol and says like, this is what I use. Like, yeah, we, we all see through that, especially these days, because we get like personal insight into these athletes lives with social media and everything else. So we, we get that too. So we're always going to yeah. be transparent. Steph Curry wears Under Armour for a reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets a lot of money. Exactly. <laughs> It's probably good clothes, but not that good. So, um, so Perry, your question from Snapchat. Uh, you say I've got a. They could, they're probably they could. I mean, Go ahead. Under Armour's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They buy sports software products. Oh, yeah, Under Armour. Yeah, they're great. Best <laughs> best apparel I've ever used. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jonathan, what are you doing? <laughs> Under Armour, the best, better than. Oh no, no. Nope. Nike. They're can just. Buy they're, all yeah, they're, just they're all yeah, good. They're all good, Nate. Just, they're all they're good. Just real they're good. amazing. Yeah, all real good. Okay, so I've got a question about triathlon training density. If Trainer Robe prescribes three tough workouts per week and you add tough workouts for the other disciplines, then are you pretty much thrashing yourself most days, which can't be good, right? Yep, that's not good, Perry. And that's why um, the three tough workouts per week is only when you're on a cycling plan. Um, when we moved into triathlon or when I started developing the triathlon plans, I'm very well of the fact that, that the body works the way it does. And it, you'll, you'll never see three tough workouts per discipline per week in any of the triathlon plans. Um, they're all staggered such that you may have a dose of intensity, but it's always followed by something that's lighter in intensity or an actual recovery day. Uh, this changes as you go from low volume to high volume. The high volume plans ask a lot more of the athletes and <clears throat> there is more intensity incorporated, but there's still enough downtime to absorb that intensity. And of course, it's always up to the athlete to determine, is this still too much for me? Do I need to trim a little? Do, do I need to modify this plan a little? <clears throat> but that's, that, that's another topic. The, the fact is, the, the uh, plans are structured to allow recovery over the course of the week. So, yeah. And then your next question, when it comes to pedaling technique, should there be movement in your ankle joint or should it be should it be held fairly rigid? Uh, Perry, I can't give you a, a hard answer on this. Um, I used to be of the school that you always kept your heel slightly elevated, that uh, a lengthened <clears throat> gastrocnemius. So your your low leg muscles, the, the longer they are, the less powerful they are. 
So keep that ankle lifted. Um, keep it in a fixed position largely. Um, I, I push certain things because I they, they worked for me, but that doesn't mean it works for everybody. And I and the guy who always comes to mind is Tom Bonin. Uh, I, I watched him solo away at Perry Roubaix in what was that 2012, 2013 or 2012. Tw- yeah, and and he is like 50 miles out, and that guy drops his heel more than anybody, but he puts out mad power and he keeps it, and he he's never injured or I mean the guys. Yeah. His results speak for themselves. And the fact is, that works for Tom. I've got a bit of a man crush on Tom Bonin, oh, yeah, I'll admit it. You know? and, mm. and on his pedal stroke specifically. Yeah. So It's beautiful and it's it fluid is. and it's hugely powerful. And it's funny that you mentioned that because when I saw this guy's question, that was the first thing I thought of. I've watched, by the way, if you want a motivating YouTube video, uh, look up Tom Bonin, Perry Roubaix. Almost positive it's 2013. That sounds about right, yeah. Um, maybe 2012 though. Look that up, and uh, for those that haven't seen the race, it's it's exciting and check it out. We well, won't spoil it, but it's it, it is. And I, I, to to further the point here, Perry, I've actually seen uh, a lot of athletes, especially on the climbs and the Grand Tours, where you really get a chance to watch them for a long period of time, and they're not you know in a dense uh, mass of riders. I've seen riders who have an elevated heel, but as they fatigue, they start to drop that heel, and I don't know if that's just how they manage to keep on cranking out the power if their calves are starting to cramp and they're starting to stretch them a little bit i don't even know if it's intentional Mm. but the fact is they do it and it's still it works for them there are two things with that so Sagan, for example Sagan points his toes it's it's cute he's got like dancer toes you know the whole time he's ballet dancer yep he's pointed really far down so once again it works for different people in different ways but one thing that um that i wanted to bring up there that, that you talked about chad when I guess the the best way the the best way that I can get through with this one is that a lot of people I see coming through and and they start out riding whether they're familiar with spin classes or whatever it is and they tend to pedal with their toes down mm-hmm. it's easy to control that bouncing on your saddle a lot of the times when you carry excess tension through your legs like that and if you're pointing your toes down and it's a, and it can be a crutch So kind of like how we always talk about if you should be kicking or pulling or scraping or anything else, there's no perfect way to pedal for everybody, but you can optimize it. Everyone can improve to a certain extent. So um, if you are in a situation where you're pedaling toes down, Perry, it may not be necessarily, you know, a terrible thing for you, but I would try and you have to give it a while to try. It's not like you can just try for five minutes in a workout and see if it works, but this is something with time. You really have to consciously make an effort to try to change your pedal stroke to see if it works. But something, something perhaps balanced in the middle ground. I know that's a safe answer, but that's probably the best way to go. I do uh, rigid ankle, toes pointed. What do you guys do? Yeah, I, I honestly, um, when I start to think too much about it, I feel I'm probably missing the point of what I'm trying to accomplish because I'm, I'm unaware of what would happen naturally. So I think and preach um, that from time to time, I just pedal with my knees. Come on, everything below it. I, that helps me relax my legs. It helps my ankles mm-hmm. do what they're going to do anyway. And I just watch my power. So all, all the power is being driven with my, my, you know, from my hip down to my knee anyway, right? So I just let that do the work. Everything else kind of falls in line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know. I, I try to consciously, and like you said, Chad, that's a good point. If I'm consciously focusing on this, you know, I could also probably be focusing on something that would be making me faster too. Um, but when I am pedaling, I always try to think of scraping down at the base and in the sense of pulling, but that also helps me drop my heel a bit. I've noticed, once again, this is correlative. This isn't like there's any type of direct connection, but if I am in a situation or a pattern where I start to pedal over time, more toes down, I personally tend to get more cramps. In your calves, yeah. In my calves. Same here. But once again, that's a personal thing, and we cramps are the mystery of all mysteries. We and still don't know what's going on with those. I like so. the fluidity that comes with pedaling with my knees, as it were. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I do find sometimes I'll consciously, and this happens most when I get out of the saddle, <clears throat> I'll, I'll kick over the top. So I'll start to emphasize the top of the pedal stroke, and that might lead to a higher heel position. Mm-hmm. But again, it's, it's more about driving the bike than any particular ankle position. You know, one interesting thing that you said about uh, kind of like a tell of a rider's fatigue, mm-hmm. I remember Bradley Wiggins uh, the year that he won, 2014? Did he win the tour, I think? Or 2013? Sometime no, it was 12. 2014 was for him. Yeah. So, yeah. When, when Wiggins won the tour last, they were talking about Nibali, and he was talking about Nibali and how they had studied video 
Wait, it was it was twelve. Thirteen was yeah, Froom. Yeah. Fourteen was Nibali. Fifteen was Froom again, and now we're about it. to watch Froom win again. So we'll see. Spoiler we'll alert. See. <laughs> so, but the That's one thing, the one thing that I um that I remember Wiggins saying, regardless of what year it was, they Team Sky had studied video of Nibali when he's going up climbs and when he gets tired because Nibali is very good at faking it. I mean, if you think about it, one of his signature moves is attacking with 15 or 20K to go, 10K to go, and he puts in a massive dig and he's able to get away from people. Um, so he has to rely on you know keeping up a good poker face. And they said that when he starts to fatigue, his heels drop. <laughs> and that was one of the main things that Wiggins was looking for in racing was as soon as his heels drop, I know that we've pacified him. He's not going to be able to attack, right? That was their goal. They just wanted to pacify him. So, But now he knows they know, so he can employ that to his benefit. There you are. <laughs> so ooh. Uh, ooh. <laughs> so uh, that's that's definitely something to look out for. And I actually have noticed that trend that um, if it's like a longer race, if people's heels are dropping, it generally coincides. If it's a hard race and I see a guy trying to, like, you know, it's a criterium and it's short, and guys are trying to chase down brakes, and I see them just like toes down, pointed forward on their saddle. I generally know that those guys are on the rivet. So, um, so yeah, it can be a good tell, regardless of what you pick. Uh, David, he says, "Hey guys, five stars all around. Highlight of my week is listening to these podcasts. That's pretty good. Either you have a life that has room for improvement, <laughs> or or we're doing all right. So, um, super informative, and I wish I could get one of you guys to coach me." Nice. Uh, we aren't. I don't think we're taking on any of those. We you know, we've that's trainer road is uh, the a brain dump of Chad's brain. And this is very much true. Any anything that comes out of our brains is just due to Chad's genius. Well, uh, my question relates to training plans and training load. I appreciate that this is a bit late, but time for a mid year review. I've been on trainer road for now for about four years, from April twenty twelve. Yeah. Pretty solid, but I've never really used one of your plans. Instead of being self, instead I've been self coaching and using Joe Friel's book and merging in trainer road workouts to suit as appropriate. In my first year, I stuck to the duration based method that Friel uses to distribute training load throughout the year, but in subsequent years, swapped this out to a TSS based distribution, but using the time based charts. And he said he references tables 8.2 and 8.4 in his book and multiplying the training hours by 45 TSS points, with the theory being that one hour at zone two is about 45 TSS. As an example, according to Friel's chart for a cat two, build one of one is 20.5 hours per week, or by my calculations, 922 TSS, 20.5 hours by 45. So I, I kept all that in. Usually we eliminate that, but I kept all that in to show the lengths that people go through. 900 TSS a week is incredibly Lord. high yeah. beast yeah yeah this and, this smacks of chasing tss for the sake of tss mm. it, it's it's not really saying much else and what we're we uh, to put it into context too pete morris races uh domestic pro he will over the summer try to hit like four weeks of 800 tss and those are the hardest weeks mm -hmm. of the entire summer and he says if he can do that he's he's in pretty good shape and his FTP is like 400, mm -hmm. but he's a big guy at like 195. But yeah, he's 200. Yeah. I mean, still though, that's 922 is <laughs> a lot. That's, that's what a lot. they say for which which category? Yeah, that's, cat that's two. Not sustainable. Yeah, either. for cat two, that's I don't know what they're. Maybe you can. Some people can handle that, right? Like, yeah. But it's if you do, you probably have yeah, some awesome long. genetics. You mentioned that uh, it's the highlight of your week, so. Uh, perhaps all you have going on is training. And that's why you're really focused yeah, exactly. on it. So you can sustain this. I'm not sure. <laughs> he just refreshes the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so perhaps that is the case, uh, David. Um, it does seem like a lot. Um, it but is a lot. It does yeah, seem it is. like a lot. It that's is true. A lot. Yeah. That's, that's a good The highest point. end athletes <clears throat> top out at like 150, 160 for their, for their chronic load. And mm. right now we're talking about, what is that? 950 uh, for, per week. Which, well, TSS. Yeah. Right. Per day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, now using these calculations, I'm accumulating way more TSS per week that your training plans dictate, mm -hmm. even the high volume ones. Mm -hmm. uh, it tops out at 520 TSS. So most of my key workouts are about one and a half hours and about 80 to 120 TSS with the others being zone two fillers or base zone two TSS fillers indoors and out. Am I just wasting my time with these TSS fillers? And am I trying to achieve a TSS target that isn't going to do anything for me? Other than fatigue me out, and he mentions his CTL. He says currently 109 CTL, 101 ATL, 
and negative 6.6 TSB. So um, he says, should I lower my TSS targets to be more like those you list? Or conversely, if I'm habituated to that level of TSS, should I take your plans and top them up with TSS fillers? Does it sound like so, two before with, sorry, jump in, but on the fr- on the Friels plan, 20 hours times 45 TSS that he was doing mostly zone two. Yeah, and, and that's that. the other thing. So TSS, for the sake of TSS, doesn't paint the whole picture. So, you know, logging a ton of TSS but doing it at a low intensity is going to have uh, perhaps or potentially a, a really uh, major benefit on your aerobic fitness. Um, and if you're the type of, re- I don't even know what type of athlete you are, I'm going to guess you're like a long course Ironman triathlete. Second, second cat. No, oh, we did do that. Roadie. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems maybe you're just describing your base season and the fact that your CTL has come down to 109 and it's not way up there in the 140s or 50s. You're you're probably changing things over the course of your year. So when before you, uh, CTL is called chronic training load. It's a training peaks metric that Andrew Coggin developed. Mm. And what you can do to get CTL is. It's it's your TSS per day for six weeks, your average. It's your yeah. rolling just average. Jump thing. in there. Go ahead, Jack. Yeah, so Sorry. basically it's just a, a, a longer-term picture of how much stress you're inflicting on your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talk about, well, it's really important that we include his postscript here. Um, read that, Jonathan, because that yeah. kind of shapes where he we're going. He says, P.S., I'm thinking that the answer might have a lot to do with how it's currently working out for me. Which would be my first question. Yep, and he says, not well. I've raced much this, I have not raced much this year, and last year, my best result was fourth, and I scraped through to retain my second category classification. I'm obviously asking this question because if I feel the, or because if, or because I feel the need to change something. Like I said, I wish I could get one of you guys to coach me. How much are you willing to pay, Dave? I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun to coach you, Dave. I wish I had time to coach individual riders because I could save you from scenarios like this one. Um, it sounds like you've got a, a tremendous work ethic. You're not afraid to do the work. Um, I honestly think you're doing just too much to be beneficial. Um, and the reason our, our stress loads are so much, le- uh, so much lower is we're, I approach most of this <clears throat> from the viewpoint that people are, are time constrained and I try to make the most of the time they spend on the bike. I also keep in mind that some people just cause they have the time doesn't mean they want to spend a ton of time on the bike. So I try to make the most of the least. That's basically, if you distill down my coaching philosophy, there it is. Um, so you're you're just doing a lot of work for, like I said earlier, for the sake of elevating your TSS. And a big TSS doesn't necessarily mean high-level performance. So I think you do need to change something. Whether or not you choose to follow one of our training plans, and I think you could do much worse, is entirely up to you. But uh, something does have to change. If you're just flattening out and you're not improving anymore, then uh, you're just overdoing it. Looking at these numbers, that's that's a whole lot of work. Um, and yeah. at, at what point do you do you bounce back from that and start to reap the performance benefits? You're maybe going to be like a, a Ram rider or like mm. do 300-mile rides. Right. I'd be like, zone two for 20 hours sounds good. Yeah. But it sounds terrible, it sounds like but you're setting yourself <laughs> I mean, yeah, up. Yeah. You're setting yourself up to be pack fodder where you just sit in, wait for the end of the race, and hope that you have a little bit of punch when that, that end rolls around. You're, the, the rate, the... You're going to need to be able to operate anaerobically, VO2 max, raise your yes. FTP, being a cat two so rider. Much going on a road race. It's got to be, you're going to have to have punch and jump. And that's what the, the workouts, the higher intensity interval workouts do. And they'll also help raise your FTP. Um, I say that, yes, you can, I would do a whole block at the, the 500. Um, high volume. What was it 560? Yeah, high volume. Mm-hmm. Go through that. See how you do. Mm-hmm. You might want to rest just a little bit before you yeah, start. Yeah, you probably got 922. You TSS. have to have this enormous aerobic base, so you've got such a good foundation to build yeah, your higher end fitness right. on. I'm I'm excited for you. Yeah, and, and that's this will be a good like shift for you, David, going from quality or quantity over to quality, and it's going to be a good yeah. test for you to see how you respond. And we've kind of you know, you've stacked the deck with building up that base. Uh, you should have a solid response to it if you follow it well. So. If you go through like an, a general build and you get to the end of it and you're like, boy, that was nothing. Like I could take more. Um, then do you think then, Chad? Well, it really depends, actually. I, I'm, I'm guessing you're not going to say you can do build more. You could do more, but he could add more TSS rides or could he, if, you know, if he's getting through, if he's got a really good aerobic base too, some of those interval workouts, he could drop them in the workout crater. 
and add some yeah, to yeah, the pick end. Pick a plus version, modify it so that it includes more intervals. I mean, mm-hmm. you can grow any of those workouts just you know a little bit or a lot. That's absolutely okay, especially if you're getting that stress on you know just one day rather than adding an extra workout in between two hard workouts, which would you know probably be a terrible idea. Um, so you can just just grow the workouts. Uh, you don't necessarily have to bump your TSF with, TSS up with these TSS filler rides. You can make the intense rides. Uh, longer or more intense well not necessarily more intense but longer in terms of uh, interval quantity and since too i think the long quote-unquote long weekend ride probably won't do a lot for you at like three hours yeah um what i mentioned last time this might be a good thing for him too is doing sweet spot intervals 90 95 percent 20 minutes Hmm. five times yeah it's it's time time to change it up yeah five minutes rest yeah i mean just anybody do the same thing over and over and over and over again you're going to plateau at some point you're going to have to start to introduce some new stress along somewhere along the lines um i think you've probably surpassed that point so it's time to time to try something new that um five by 20s at five by 20 intervals at 90 percent. i think that's 170 yeah it's white side um 170 tss so it's a lot of tss and you'll get in a lot less time than doing zone two forever. I want this guy to lead us out on when we're riding the Kona course. Yeah, I, I want this guy. Yeah, yeah. I want this guy to keep us updated. I'd like to see where yeah, this goes. Be a triathlete. Yeah, yeah. That's like you've got it. Well, you, even with actually, that's even a, that wouldn't be a good triathlete either. <laughs> Maybe like a ultra Ironman. Yeah, mm-hmm. for like you know the the two day right. huge things, but yeah, that's all just. <clears throat> I, you know, I'm assuming too, we're assuming he's doing all Z2, but that's because that's where his calculations were for the amount of TSS. Yeah. So keep us posted, uh, David, it could be interesting. And and I hope I didn't, uh, insult you at all with, with cracking a a joke about your quality of life. I'm sure it's awesome. So (laughs) yeah, I follow. There's, there's nothing about this. It isn't, we're just that impressive. (laughs) That's, that's a, that's a whole lot of work you're doing there. Very impressive. So yeah, keep us posted. Please send something back in. Uh, we're going to end just with this one. It's not really a question. It's just a follow-up with the previous question that we had about using uh, power meters in when you're on the road. And it's from Stuart. And he says, just listen, listening to this week's podcast, I've used my own Shimano Ultegra pedals quite a few times in hotel gyms. I do this because I prefer to use my own shoes and be locked in rather than use runners and those crappy rubber pedally thingies. <laughs> mm-hmm. You could ease, and I think we're all on the same boat there. Uh, you could easily use the power tap pedals instead to measure power. All the gym bikes I've used use the typical bicycle thread pattern of being reversed on the left. The main issues I've encountered are getting the gym pedals off. They're often quite rusty, and sometimes you have to really struggle to get them off. And uh, and he says that um, and get his pedals on. And he says WD forty helps. Actually, he said get me pedals on, which is awesomely British or wherever you're probably <laughs> yeah. from. So that's <laughs> he all. said runners too. Yes, so. yeah, yeah. Um, and he says WD forty helps. I wonder if in this next point he says and uh, and getting str- you'll have to deal with getting strange looks from ho- uh, other hotel users. I'm not really sure if the hotel would officially approve either. I assume that if you bring in WD forty, that might be a point where they might get upset, but. Um, he says, I usually do it on the quiet and have never asked if I, if I can do it. I've tried to use my Garmin vectors, but the problem there is not with applying a specific torque because this has been resolved in their version two. Rather, the issue is the pod connection has to wrap around the crank and the crank is often too wide to do this. Power taps wouldn't have this issue. Awesome insight. I didn't think of Thank that. Thank you, Stuart. That was awesome. Yeah. So, and yeah, power taps don't have that. They just thread right in. They don't have any type of clip that goes around the... the Power tap pedals. Yeah, yeah they're, they're more simple. So um, for all those that, that... Because we get that... Actually, we get that question a fair amount for all those that have Holy that situation. Smokes. Now that I know this, yeah. uh, we have Power tap pedals in the office. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. My wife will be so happy that she can go into a gym and do a trainer workout and on, rather than just running on And trainer. on your bachelor party this weekend when you're eating Funyuns, you can also be training <laughs> with a It's a houseboat. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. I should just bring my bike and a trainer. You guys don't mind, right? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for, for sending in your questions this week. And um, thanks for listening. You can find this podcast and share it on wherever you're listening to this, um, whether it's SoundCloud or iTunes or Stitcher. And leave us a review there. We like reviews. Spread the word. Let other people know that they can get their answer or their questions answered. Just go to trainerroad.com slash podcast or use the hashtag AskTrainerRoad and we'll sort through and put them in for the next week. We love reviews. Yes. Five-star ones. I mean, five-star reviews. Yes, five-star ones. (laughs) All right. Thanks all. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.